Section 40 of the Anzac Book. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Story of Anzac, Part 2 by Ian Hamilton. From the Anzac Book, edited by C. E. W. Bean. The Main Push. The first step in the real push, the step which, above all others, was to count, was the night attack on the summits of the Sari Bear Bridge. It was our object to effect a lodgment along the crest of the high main ridge with two columns of troops, but seeing the nature of the ground and the dispositions of the enemy, the effort had to be made by stages. We were bound, in fact, to undertake a double subsidiary operation before we could hope to launch these attacks with any real prospect of success. The two assaulting columns, which were to work up three ravines to the storm of the high ridge, were to be preceded by two covering columns. One of these was to capture the enemy's positions commanding the foothills, first open the mouths of the ravines, secondly to cover the right flank of another covering force, whilst it marched along the beach. The other covering column was to strike far out to the north until from a hill called Damatjalik Bear, it could at the same time facilitate the landing of the Ninth Corps at Nibrunesi Point, and guard the left flank of the column assaulting Sari Bear from any forces of the enemy which might be assembled in the Anafata Valley. The whole of this big attack was placed under the command of Major General Sir A. J. Godley, General Officer Commanding New Zealand and Australian Division. The two covering and the two assaulting columns were organized as follows right covering column under brigadier general a h russell new zealand mounted rifles brigade the otago mounted rifles regiment the maori contingent and new zealand field troop right assaulting column under brigadier general f e johnston new zealand infantry brigade indian mountain battery less one section one company new zealand engineers left covering column under brigadier general j h Travers, Headquarters 40th Brigade, half the 72nd Field Company, 4th Battalion South Wales Borderers, and 5th Battalion Wiltshire Regiment, left assaulting column under Brigadier General, now Major General, H. V. Cox, 29th Indian Infantry Brigade, 4th Australian Infantry Brigade, Indian Mountain Battery, less one section, one company New Zealand Engineers. Divisional Reserve, 6th Battalion South Lancashire Regiment and 8th Battalion Welsh Regiment, Pioneers, at Chailac Dare, and the 39th Infantry Brigade and half 72nd Field Company at Agil Dare, in the foothills. The right covering column had to clear the Turks off from their right flank positions upon Old Number 3 Post and Tabletop. Old Number 3 Post connected with Tabletop by a Razorback. Working parties had done their best with unstinted material to convert this commanding point into an impregnable redoubt. Two lines of fire trench, very heavily entangled, protected its southern face. Tabletop is a steep-sided, flat-topped hill. Close at 400 feet above sea level, the sides of the hill are mostly sheer and quite impracticable. Amongst other stratagems, the Anzac troops, assisted by H.M.S. Colm, had long and carefully been educating the Turks how they should lose Old Number 3 Post, 
which could hardly have been rushed by simple force of arms. Every night, exactly at 9 p.m., HMS Cole threw the beams of her searchlight onto the redoubt and opened fire upon it for exactly 10 minutes. Then, after a 10 minutes interval, came a second illumination and bombardment, commencing always at 9.20 and ending precisely at 9.30 p.m. The idea was that after successive nights of such practice, the enemy would get into the habit of taking the searchlight as a hint to clear out until the shelling was at an end. But on the eventful night of the 6th, the sound of their footsteps drowned by the loud cannonade, unseen as they crept along in that darkest shadow which fringes a searchlight's beam, came the right covering column. At 9.30 the light switched off, and instantly our men poured out of the scrub jungle and into the redoubt. By 11 p.m. the whole series of surrounding entrenchments was ours. The remainder of the right covering column carried on with their attack upon Bowshop's Hill and the Chalak Dare. By 10 p.m. the northernmost point with its machine gun was captured, and by 1 o'clock in the morning the whole of Bowshop's Hill, a maze of ridge and ravine, everywhere entrenched, was fairly in our hands. The attack along the Chalak Dare was not so cleanly carried out, made indeed just about as ugly a start as any enemy could wish. Pressing eagerly forward through the night, the little column of stormers found themselves held up by a barbed wire erection of unexampled height, depth, and solidity, which completely closed the only practicable entrance to the ravine. Here that splendid body of men, the Otago Mounted Rifles, lost some of their bravest and their best, but in the end, when things were beginning to seem desperate, a passage was forced through the stubborn obstacle with most conspicuous and cool courage by Captain Shera and a party of New Zealand engineers, supported by the Maoris, who showed themselves worthy descendants of the warriors of the Gate Pa. Thus was the mouth of the Chalak Dare opened in time to admit of the unopposed entry of the right assaulting column. Tabletop. Simultaneously, the attack on Tabletop had been launched under cover of a heavy bombardment from HMS Colm. No general on peace maneuvers would ask troops to attempt so breakneck an enterprise. The angle of tabletop's ascent is recognized in our regulations as impracticable for infantry, but neither Turks nor angles of ascent were destined to stop Brussels or his New Zealanders that night. The scarped heights were scaled, the plateau was carried by midnight, with this brilliant feat, the task of the right covering force was at an end. Its attacks had been made with a bayonet and bomb only. Magazines were empty by order. Hardly a rifle shot had been fired. Some 150 prisoners were captured, as well as many rifles and much equipment, ammunition, and stores. No words can do justice to the achievement of Brigadier General Russell and his men. There are exploits which must be seen to be realized. The right assaulting column had entered the two southerly ravines, Sazli Belt Dare and Chalik Dare, by midnight. At 1.30 a.m. began a hotly contested fight for the trenches on the lower part of Rhododendum Spur, whilst the Chalik Dare column pressed steadily up the valley against the enemy. The left covering column under Brigadier General Travers, after marching along the beach to Number 3 outpost, resumed its northerly advance as soon as the attack on Bowchop's Hill had developed. Every trench encountered was instantly rushed by the borderers, 
until having reached the predetermined spot the whole column was unhesitatingly launched at damajelic bear by one thirty a m the whole of the hill was occupied thus safeguarding the left rear of the whole of the anzac attack on the far left the left assaulting column crossed the chalik dare at twelve thirty a m and entered the argel dare at the heels of the left covering column the surprise on this side was complete two turkish officers were caught in their pajamas enemy arms and ammunition were scattered in every direction the grand attack was now in full swing but the country gave new sensations in cliff climbing even to officers and men who had graduated over the goat tracks of anzac the darkness of the night the density of the scrub hands and knees progress up the spurs sheer physical fatigue exhaustion of the spirit caused by repeated hairbreadth escapes from the hail of random bullets all these combined to take the edge off the energies of our troops at last after advancing some distance up the Dare, the column split up into two parts the fourth australian brigade struggled fighting hard as they went up to the north of the northern fork of the Dare, making for hill three o five koja chemin tepe the twenty ninth indian infantry brigade scrambled up the southern fork of the Dare and the spurs north of it to the attack of a portion of the sahri bear ridge known as hill q dawn broke and the crest line was not yet in our hands although considering all things the left assaulting column had made a marvellous advance the fourth australian infantry brigade was on the line of the asma dare the next ravine north of the Dare, and the twenty ninth indian infantry brigade held the ridge west of the farm below chunuk bear and and along the spurs to the northeast the enemy had been flung back from ridge to ridge an excellent line for the renewal of the attack had been secured and except for the exhaustion of the troops the auspices were propitious turning to the right assaulting column one battalion the canterbury infantry battalion clambered slowly up the sosley bait dare the remainder of the force led by the otago battalion wound their way amongst the pitfalls and forced their passage through the scrub of the chalik dare where fierce opposition forced them ere long to deploy here too the hopeless country was the main hindrance and it was not until five forty five a m that the bulk of the column joined the canterbury battalion on the lower slopes of the rhododendron spur eventually they entrenched on the top of rhododendron spur a quarter of a mile short of chunuk bear i e of victory end of august seven at nine thirty a m the two assaulting columns pressed forward whilst our guns pounded the enemy moving along the battleship hill spurs but in spite of all their efforts their increasing exhaustion as opposed to the gathering strength of the enemy's fresh troops began to tell they had shot their bolt so all day they clung to what they had captured and strove to make ready for the night all had suffered heavily and all were very tired so ended the first phase of the fighting for the chunuk bear ridge our aims had not fully been attained and the help we had hoped for from sulva had not been forthcoming yet i fully endorsed the words of general birdwood when he says the troops had performed a feat which is without parallel great kudos is due to major generals godley and shaw for their arrangements to generals russell johnston cox and travers for their leading but most of all 
as every one of these officers will gladly admit to the rank and file for their fighting nor may i admit to add the true destroyer spirit with which h m s colne commander claude seymour r n and h m s chelmer commander q t england r n backed us up will live in the grateful memories of the army the second attack in the course of this afternoon august seventh reconnaissances of sahri bear were carried out and the troops were got into shape for a fresh advance in three columns to take place in the early morning the columns were composed as follows right column brigadier general f e johnston twenty six indian mountain battery less one section auckland mounted rifles new zealand infantry brigade two battalions thirteenth division and the maori contingent center and left columns major general h v cox twenty first indian mountain battery less one section fourth australian brigade thirty ninth infantry brigade less one battalion with six battalion south lancashire regiment attached and the twenty ninth indian infantry brigade the right column was to climb up the chinook bear ridge the left column was to make for the prolongation of the ridge northeast to koja chemin tepe the topmost peak of the range the attack was timed for four fifteen a m at the first faint glimmer of dawn observers saw figures moving against the skyline of chunuk bear were they our own men or were they the turks telescopes were anxiously adjusted the light grew stronger men were seen climbing up from our side of the ridge they were our own fellows the topmost summit was ours chunuk bear gained on the right general johnston's column headed by the wellington battalion and supported by the seventh battalion gloucester regiment the auckland mounted rifles regiment the eighth welsh pioneers in the maori contingent the whole most gallantly led by lieutenant colonel w g malone had raced one another up the steep nothing could check them on they went until with a last determined rush they fixed themselves firmly on the southwestern slopes and crest of the main knoll known as the height of chunuk bear with deep regret i have to add that the brave lieutenant colonel malone fell mortally wounded as he was marking out the line to be held in the centre the thirty ninth infantry brigade and the twenty ninth indian brigade moved along the gullies leading up to the sari bear ridge so murderous was the enemy's fire that little progress could be made though some ground was gained on the spurs to the northeast of the farm on the left the fourth australian brigade advanced from the osmak dare against the lower slopes of abdul rahman bear a spur running due north from koja chemintepe with the intention of wheeling to its right and advancing up the spur cunningly placed turkish machine guns and a strong entrenched body of infantry were ready for this move and the brigade was unable to get on at last on the approach of heavy columns of the enemy the australians virtually surrounded and having already suffered losses of over one thousand were withdrawn to their original position in the afternoon the battle slackened excepting always at lone pine where the enemy were still coming on in mass and being mown down by our fire elsewhere the troops were busy digging and getting up water and food no child's play with their wretched lines of communication running within musketry range of the enemy 
at four thirty a m on august ninth the chunuk bear ridge and hill q were heavily shelled at five sixteen a m this tremendous bombardment was to be switched off onto the flanks and reverse slopes of the heights the columns for the renewed attack were composed as follows the number one column brigadier general f e johnston twenty sixth indian mountain battery less one section the auckland and wellington mounted rifles regiments the new zealand infantry brigade and two battalions of the thirteenth division number two column major general h v cox twenty first indian mountain battery less one section fourth australian brigade thirty ninth brigade less the seventh gloucesters relieved with the sixth battalion south lancashire regiment attached and the indian infantry brigade number three column brigadier general a h baldwin commanding thirty eighth infantry brigade two battalions each from the thirty eighth and the twenty ninth brigades and one from the fortieth brigade general baldwin's column had assembled in the chalik dare and was moving up towards general johnston's headquarters but in spite of all precautions the darkness the rough scrubbed country its sheer steepness so delayed the column that baldwin owing to the darkness and the awful country lost his way through no fault of his own the gurkhas on top and now under that fine leader major c g l allinson the sixth gurkhas of the twenty ninth indian infantry brigade pressed up the slopes of sari bear crowned the heights of the Kal between chunuk bear and hill q viewed far beneath them the waters of the hellespont viewed the asiatic shores along which motor transport was bringing supplies to the lighters but the fortune of war was against us at this supreme moment baldwin's column was still a long way from our trenches on the crest and instead of baldwin's support came suddenly a salvo of heavy shells the turkish commander saw his chance and the south lancashires and gurkhas who had seen the promised land were forced backwards over the crest that evening from chunuk bear the line ran down to the farm and almost due north to the Asma der southern watershed whence it continued westward to the sea near Asmak kuyo on the right the australian division was still holding its line and lone pine was still being furiously attacked the first australian brigade was now reduced from two thousand nine hundred to one thousand and the total casualties up to eight p m on the ninth amounted to about eighty five hundred but the troops were still in extraordinarily good heart a great turkish attack during the night of the ninth tenth the new zealand and new army troops on chunuk bear were relieved for three days and three nights they had been ceaselessly fighting they were half dead with fatigue their lines of communication started from sea level ran across trackless ridges and ravines to an altitude of eight hundred feet and were exposed all the way to snipers fire and artillery bombardment it had become imperative therefore to get them enough food water and rest but for this purpose it was imperative also to withdraw them chunuk bear which they had so magnificently held was now handed over to two battalions of the thirteenth division at daybreak on tuesday august tenth the turks delivered a grand attack from the line chunuk bear hill q against these two battalions already weakened in numbers though not in spirit by previous fighting first our men were shelled by every enemy gun and then at five thirty a m 
were assaulted by a huge column consisting of no less than a full division plus a regiment of three battalions the north lancashire men were simply overwhelmed in their shallow trenches by sheer weight of numbers whilst the wilts who were caught out in the open were literally almost annihilated the ponderous mass of the enemy swept over the crest now it was our turn the warships and the new zealand and australian artillery the indian mounted artillery brigade and the sixty ninth brigade royal field artillery were getting the chance of a lifetime as the successive solid lines of turks topped the crest of the ridge gaps were torn through their formation they became exposed not only to the full blast of the guns but also to a battery of ten machine guns belonging to the new zealand infantry brigade which played upon their serried ranks at close range until the barrels were red-hot enormous losses were inflicted especially by these ten machine guns and of the swarms which had once fairly crossed the crest line and only the merest handful ever straggled back to their own side of chunuk bear at the same time strong forces of the enemy were hurled against the farm where there arose a conflict so deadly that it may be considered as the climax of the four days fighting for the ridge portions of our lines were pierced and the troops driven clean down the hill at the foot of the hill the men were rallied by staff captain street who was there supervising the transport of food and water without a word unhesitatingly they followed him back to the farm where they plunged again into the midst of that series of struggles in which generals fought in the ranks and men dropped their scientific weapons and caught one another by the throat by ten a m the effort of the enemy was spent soon their shattered remnants began to trickle back and by night except prisoners or wounded no live turk was left upon our side of the slope end of the battle of sorry bear by evening the total casualties of general birdwood's force had reached twelve thousand and included a very large proportion of officers the thirteenth division of the new army under major general shaw had alone lost six thousand out of a grand total of ten thousand five hundred baldwin was gone and all his staff ten commanding officers out of thirteen had disappeared from the fighting effectives the warwicks and the worcesters had lost literally every single officer but physically though birdwood's forces were prepared to hold all they had got they were now too exhausted to attack at least until they had rested and reorganized the enemy's positions were now being rapidly entrenched and as i could not depend on receiving reinforcing drafts i was faced with the danger that if i could not drive the turks back i might lose so many men that i would find myself unable to hold the very extensive new area of ground which had been gained i therefore decided to mass every available man against ismail uglu tepe a sine qua non to my plans whether as a first step toward clearing the valley or if this proved impossible toward securing souvla bay and anzac cove from shellfire the same day a force consisting of two battalions of new zealand mounted rifles two battalions of the twenty ninth irish brigade the fourth south wales borderers and twenty ninth infantry brigade the whole under the command of major-general h v cox was working independently to support the main attack hill sixty first assault general cox divided his force into three sections the left section to press forward and establish a permanent hold on the existing lightly held outpost line covering the junction of the eleventh division 
with the Anzac front, the centre section to seize the well at Kabakuyu, an asset of utmost value, whether to ourselves or to the enemy, the right section to attack and capture the Turkish trenches on the northeast side of the Kayajikagala. The advance of the left section was a success. After a brisk engagement, the well at Kabakuya was seized by the Indian Brigade, and by 4.30 the right column, under Brigadier General Russell, under heavy fire, effected a lodgment on the Kayajik Agala, where our men entrenched and began to dig communications across the Kayajik Dare, towards the lines of the 4th Australian Brigade, south of the Dare. A pretty stiff bomb fight ensued, in which General Russell's troops held their own through the night against superior force. At 6 a.m. on the morning of August the 22nd, General Russell, reinforced by the newly arrived 18th Australian Battalion, attacked the summit of the Kahijik Agala. The Australians carried 150 yards of the trenches, losing heavily in so doing, and were then forced to fall back again owing to enfilade fire, though in the meantime the New Zealand-mounted rifles managed, in spite of constant counterattacks, to make good another 80 yards. A counterattack in strength launched by the Turks at 10 a.m. was repulsed. The new line from the Kayajik Agala to Susakuyu was gradually strengthened and eventually joined on the right of the Ninth Army Corps, thereby materially improving the whole situation. During this action, the 4th Australian Brigade, which remained facing the Turks on the upper part of the Kayajik Agala, was able to inflict several hundred casualties on the enemy as they retreated or endeavored to reinforce. The last days of the month were illumined by a brilliant affair carried through by the troops under General Birdwood's command. Our object was to complete the capture of Hill 60, north of the Kayajik Agala, commenced by Major General Cox on August 21st. Hill 60 overlooked the Bihuk Anafarta Valley and was therefore tactically a very important feature. Second Assault The conduct of the attack was again entrusted to Major General Cox, at whose disposal was placed detachments from the 4th and 5th Australian Brigades, the New Zealand Mounted Rifles Brigade, and the 5th Connock Rangers. The advance was timed to take place at 5 p.m. on August 27, after the heaviest artillery bombardment we could afford. This bombardment seemed effective, but the moment the assailants broke cover, they were greeted by an exceedingly hot fire from the enemy field guns, rifles, and machine guns, followed after a brief interval by a shower of heavy shell, some of which most happily pitched into the trenches of the Turks. On the right, the detachment from the 4th and 5th Australian Brigades could make no headway against a battery of machine guns which confronted them. In the center, the New Zealanders made a most determined onslaught and carried one side of the topmost knoll. Hand-to-hand -hand fighting continued here till 9.30 p.m., when it was reported that nine-tenths of the summit had been gained. On the left, the 250 men of the 5th Connaught Rangers excited the admiration of all beholders by the swiftness and cohesion of their charge. In five minutes, they had carried their objective, the northern Turkish communications, when they at once set to and began a lively bomb fight among the trenches against strong parties which came hurrying up from the enemy supports and afterwards from their reserves. At midnight, fresh troops were to have strengthened our grip upon the hill, but before that hour the Irishmen had been out-bombed, 
and the ninth australian light horse who had made a most plucky attempt to recapture the lost communication trench had been repulsed luckily the new zealand mounted rifles refused to recognize that they were worsted nothing would shift them all that night and all next day through bombing bayonet charges musketry shrapnel and heavy shell they clung on to their a hundred and fifty yards of trench at one a m on august twenty ninth the tenth light horse made another attack on the lost communication trenches to the left carried them and finally held them this gave us complete command of the under feature an outlook over the anafarta sagir valley and safer lateral communications between anzac and souffle bay three turkish machine guns and forty-six prisoners were taken as well as three trench mortars three hundred turkish rifles sixty thousand rounds of ammunition and five hundred bombs four hundred acres were added to the territories of anzac and now before affixing to this dispatch my final signature as commander-in-chief of the mediterranean expeditionary force let me first pay tribute to the everlasting memory of my dear comrades who will return no more next let me thank each and all generals staff regimental leaders and rank and file for their wonderful loyalty patience and self-sacrifice so i bid them all farewell with a special godspeed to the campaigners who have served with me right through from the terrible yet most glorious earlier days the incomparable twenty ninth division the young veterans of the naval division the ever victorious australians and new zealanders the stout east lanes and my own brave fellow countrymen of the lowland division of scotland ian hamilton general commander-in-chief mediterranean expeditionary force end of section forty